Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, My name is Josh Barnett. If I have not met you, uh, I'm a pastor on staff here, and I'm excited about sharing God's word with you today. Um, I really just want to do part Tim, uh, part Tim, part two of Tim's word last week, part Tim. Tim preached an incredible word last week. It was absolutely amazing. And while he was talking, I just had all these thoughts just firing away in me. And you know how preachers are. We just can't say enough about one thing. And so I want to, do, I want to echo some of the things that he said, and I want to, I want to infuse uh, some more. I want to build off of the foundation that he laid last week. So if you'll, if you'll remember, or if you won't hear, weren't here, he taught from 2 Kings chapter 7 about the lepers outside of the city, and they went to the, the, the camp, and they were able to get some spoils, and they went back and told the Israelites, hey, that your God's has already defeated your enemies. Some really awesome stuff happened in that story. And his, his title was, Don't Sit Here. Don't sit here. So the lepers weren't getting anywhere, sitting here, feeling sorry for themselves, nothing going on. They decided to get up and do something. And I love Tim's four points. His first one was hilarious. Throw your violin away. That I, it was so funny. Throw your violin away. Like quit being a victim. Quit singing the same, old, uh, the same old song and dance. Then he said, take every thought captive. Think on these things. And then live a life that's thinking about others. Live a life that's thinking about others. And it was so good. Don't sit here. I really want to encourage you, if you missed it, go back and listen to that uh, uh, this week. I want to do a part two to that because all I could think about was this story in scripture, John chapter five. So if you got your Bibles or your phones, go to John chapter five. Let's look at the story together today. And I want to break some things down for us. John chapter five, starting in verse one. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which, which in Hebrew is Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. It's, it, I'm, I'm so used, when you get so used to one translation and then you read it from another translation, I get so like jerked up with the words. Um, but the reason I read it, I read it from New King James is because many translations take out the back half of three and all of verse four because it's not found in many manuscripts because many would have understood what was going on at that time. But also it's because it was superstition and it was myth what was going on. But I believe, I wanted to read it this morning because I believe that it provides context for what happens later Uh, in the story. So Jesus goes to this place, Bethsaida, this pool, the sick, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed are waiting for the moving of the water. They're waiting for an angel to stir the water so that they can get into the water and be made whole. And as we start this morning, continuing on Tim's train of thought last week is, is there is an idolization of being a victim in our culture. We live in a culture that is on a race towards the bottom. We make an idol out of brokenness. Everyone wants to be labeled by their issue. Everyone wants to be labeled by their issue. And, 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 and this is interesting when Jesus comes here because you have these five porches, you've got these five different groups of people that are all hanging out together. And it's like, why are, you know, why are so many people there? And why in our culture is this like, everybody wants to be labeled by their issue? And why does everybody have to have a problem? And why does everybody have to be going through something? And why do we have to identify a certain way? It's because misery loves company. Misery loves company. Why? Because when other people around us are going through something, it makes us feel better about ourselves. 
when other people are, going, are, are, are around us, and, and that's why we empower each other and we wanna enable and we wanna promote our issues because it makes us feel better about our own personal dysfunction. And I believe that there are a lot of churches and ministries in our nation today that aren't really interested in helping people. They may be interested in entertaining people once a week, creating fans, but oftentimes church is more interested in becoming a coping mechanism instead of paying the price to manifest a real answer for people. And we wanna group people up with the same issues so that they can all coddle each other. I hope you wore your steel toed boots today because I'm gonna say some hard things. Um, in verse four, like this stirring of the waters by the angel, it's probably a legend or a myth, but here's the deal. It still drew the crowds. It still drew the crowds. And I actually see many believers today gathering, crowding up around places, thinking something will fix them. Thinking something will fix them. We think the gym is gonna fix us. We think a pill is gonna fix us. We think a small group is gonna fix us. But none of those things are gonna fix your dysfunction. And it's by the grace of God, none of those things will fix your dysfunction. Many Christians are looking for the next conference, the next word, the next worship night, the next whatever, maybe the next church will fix it or the next school will fix it or the next boss or the next job or the next teacher or the next whatever will fix what's going on inside of me. But here's the deal, the common denominator is, is you, is you. <clears throat> and, that, and this superstition with his angel, I think we can easily scoff at but many times we do the same things when we gather around other things that aren't helping anybody. And listen, I wanna say this, I'm not anti-therapy, but therapy's not gonna fix you. It may help you, but it's not gonna fix you. And it's by the grace of God that it won't. What you need is a spirit-filled biblical therapist that will point you to Jesus. Because only in the presence of Jesus will you be made whole. And what I, what I love about Bethsaida here, that, that pool, that sheep gate in Hebrew known as Bethsaida, is because Bethsaida means the house of mercy or the house of loving kindness. The house of loving kindness. And many people had gathered in what was labeled as a house of loving kindness, but nobody was finding breakthrough until loving kindness himself stepped into the room. And many people will come and they'll come to a church, they'll come like this and they'll, they'll come in here and they're like, God fix me, God fix me, God fix me. What do you do when Jesus walks into the room? Do you honor his presence? Do you listen to his word? Or do you just want God to come blow your mind between 10 and 12? Come on. The pool of Bethsaida, the house of loving kindness. And as we get into this today, I want you to know that transformation only happens in the presence of loving kindness. Not something labeled loving kindness, but the presence of loving kindness himself. Transfer, and, and here's the deal, transformation also will not be found in how much you hate your sin. It won't be found in your disgust of your dysfunction. Transformation will only be found when you begin to believe what God says about you. When you begin to believe that he says that you're whole, that you're healed, that you're beloved, we have to come into agreement at what he's already saying about us. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I just wanna, I want you to see this morning that transformation is found in loving kindness. It's the kindness of God that leadeth men into repentance, Romans 2, 4. Romans 2, 4. And, and also you think about this, the angel coming and stirring and only heals the first person in the pool. God never instituted a system like that. My goodness. <laughs> so we believe that God only reaches out to you when you're first when you're at your best, that you'll have to be at your best to get touched. That's, that's works. 
That's not the way that we're saved. That's not the way that we're made whole. But listen, Jesus, God is no respecter of persons. And I want everybody in this room to know today that God will meet you here in this room today if you just finished a 40-day fast and yesterday you were caught up in the third heavens. And whether you were in the body or the spirit, you know not. He'll meet you here today. If you just finished a 40-day fast and and you're more holy than all of us, he'll meet you here today. And I also want you to know that God will meet you here today if you smoked meth yesterday. Because that's his grace. And he's no respecter of persons. And he will come and meet with you here today. And, 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 and I think sometimes too that we, so this is myth, this is legend, this is something that they hear about, something they heard of. I, I think sometimes as believers, we get caught up in thinking that God is always going to move the same way. I see this happen, and I see this happen in worship a lot where the, 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 the more mature generation, we'll say that way, the more mature generations is you don't like the songs that we do now. And so you refuse to worship with the songs we do now because you still want God to move the way that he did when you were their age. And you fell in love with a song and not the presence. Right? We want, it, we want God to move the way that he did at Brownsville. I'm okay with the way that God moved at Brownsville. Glory. But he may not, move, he may not be moving here and like that. It, it, we, you know, you had the laughing movement. You had the travailing and crying movement. You had the, when, when I went to youth group, we got slain in the spirit every single week. Well, maybe God doesn't move the same way every generation and that's okay. Don't fall in love with the move of God, fall in love with God and you'll get caught up in a move. See, we, we fall in love with revival. We fall in love with a prophet. We fall in love with an evangelist. We fall in love with, a, and God wants you to fall in love with him. Don't fall in love with a mailman. And just because God moved that way at your last church doesn't mean that he's moving that way in this church. And that's okay. We're supposed to fall in love with the presence of Jesus because he is the one that brings breakthrough. And I'll say this too, church isn't gonna make you whole. Church isn't gonna make you whole. Church isn't gonna fix you. It's not supposed to. Christ. It doesn't say if any man be in church, he's a new creation. <laughs> if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And so coming to church on Sunday, don't think coming to church on Sunday morning is gonna be some magic pill that's gonna set everything right in your life. No, in Christ. And listen, if you're in Christ, you'll be in church. Because if you love Jesus, you love his bride. If you're in Christ, you'll be in his church, but you can be in church and not in Christ. Verse five. Verse five. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. It's interesting that Jesus walks into this room and it's full of sick people and he goes to one man. And that the the presence of loving kindness was there himself in this place. but, But all of these people refused to see him because they wanted God to move the way that they thought he was going to move. These people didn't even see Jesus when he walked into the room because they were too busy staring at the water. Are you so committed to your method, to your system, to your song, to your preacher, right? And listen, I know, I know y'all play favorites. I know I'm your favorite. I know that y'all play favorites. But when Paul's up here preaching, like you gotta listen to him too. I'm just kidding. Paul's, 
Paul and Tim are incredible speakers. You know, but, 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 but sometimes we pick favorites and like, well, they didn't sing my song and the one that I wanted to lead the song didn't lead the song and so I can't encounter God. And it's like, whoa, like it's not about that in any way. Are you so caught up on your formula and your method and your system that you miss the presence of Jesus altogether? Come on. Are you so committed to the system that you miss his presence? Has hopelessness so set in that you miss his presence? And, and, and Jesus doesn't show up to the guy and say, yeah, hey man, let's wait for the water to stir. I know that you think that's how you're gonna get it, so I'll just sit with you and you'll get it that way. No, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't say, I'm gonna come stand beside you until the water moves. Why? Because he is moving waters. He is rivers of living water. There is freedom in this place today. Why? Because Jesus is here. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But Jesus looks at this guy and to me, like, ask a really dumb question. It seems an, it's like at, at first glance, it seems like a dumb question. Do you want to be made well? Because the overwhelming answer should be yes. Yes, I want to be made well. So why does he ask it? Because Jesus knows the heart of man and he knows not everybody does want to be made well. Not everybody wants to be made well. Why? Why doesn't everybody want? You would think that we all want to be well. And sometimes we say we want to be made well, but we don't really want to be made well. Because if we're really made well, then we'll actually have to get up and walk. We'll actually have to move into some things that he's calling us into. We'll actually have to leave behind some things that maybe we don't want to leave behind because being made well comes with a degree of responsibility. Our theme this year, Zoe life, Zoe life is gonna require some responsibility on our part. You're gonna have to get up and walk, right? Tim's message last week, don't sit here. My message this week, get up and walk. Get up and walk. See, many want Jesus for what he can do for us when Jesus has a mission for us. He has something he has called us to do. You go back one chapter, John chapter four, the woman at the well. She's like, give me this water. It sounds amazing so that I don't have to work anymore. So that I don't have to come here again. Come on. Jesus doesn't lay down with a man. And hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this with all love this morning, but I know that sometimes things can be misconstrued. And I know my tone may not be exactly right, but, but listen, bear with me through this next part. It may sound a little bit like a rant, but but hang on, like this is, some, this is scriptural teaching. Jesus doesn't lay down with a man because it's insensitive to leave people where they're at. Jesus loves you where you are. He will, he'll meet you where you're at. He loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He loves you too much to leave you there. The man's mindset, no one will help me. He's like a victim, right? No one will help me. It's everybody else's fault. No one will help me. My parents, my teacher, my boss, my coach, my coworkers, my church, my youth pastor, when, you know, Hunter and Chloe, my youth pastor. I did a pretty good job. It's y'all's turn. I'm kidding. I'm joking. My youth pastor, my pastor, my leaders won't help me. My government, no one will help me. I'm stuck here because no one will help me. And Tim talked about this too last week. The thinking that no one will help you that it's someone else's fault very quickly turns into a lifestyle. And very quickly turns into 38 years for this man. And I love, Tim said this last week, it would be cruel of God if your Zoe life was dependent on everybody else in your life treating you perfectly. 
It would be cruel of God if your Zoe life was dependent on everyone else in your life treating you perfectly. Well, and here's the deal with that is that we all have different definitions of being treated perfectly, right? Your definition of treated perfectly is that, that I would come and talk to you and hang out with you this morning. My definition of treated perfectly is that everybody would leave me alone. <laughs> not that I don't love people. I'm just, I'm introverted and sometimes situations, small talk sometimes can be awkward. Not because I don't love people, but you know, we all have different de- definitions on how to be, how we want to be treated. It's his grace that no one came along because no one could bring this man breakthrough like Jesus was about to give him. Do you continuously put yourself in an environment where no one will help you? Help you really? Do you know what help actually looks like? Or do you surround yourself with people who lick your wounds? No one will help me. And Jesus basically tells him, neither will I. At least not in the way you think. He didn't say poor guy. Why? Because loving kindness challenges us. It doesn't coddle us. It challenges, it doesn't coddle us. It empowers us to be who we were created to be. Real compassion challenges people. It doesn't enable them. These people wanted to be affirmed, pitied, enabled, but Jesus is in the transformation game. Jesus challenged him. He didn't accommodate him. Jesus tells the man to get up and walk. Stop sitting here in your dysfunction. And the man had to make a choice on whether he was gonna refuse to obey that and sit where he's always sat or if he was gonna come into agreement with the command. What has the Holy Spirit told you to do that you still refuse to do? Because your breakthrough may be on the other side of obedience. Do you want to be made well? Then stand up, take up your mat and now walk. Listen, just a little practical teaching here. Your, gener- your generosity and your empathy may be hurting someone more than it's helping them. They may have grown dependent on you. Their heart may be withered. They need to be challenged, not enabled. Don't do for people what they can do for themselves. Don't do for people. When you do something for somebody that they can do for themselves, you're robbing them of their human dignity. We can have the right heart motive of like, I want to help people and go about it the wrong way. We cannot walk in wisdom. Just a simple practical example is if you give money to a panhandler, it's most likely hurting them more than it's helping them. And I'm not trying to be cold, stay with me. But if you give money to a panhandler, it may be hurting them more. And and listen, I'm not saying don't listen to the spirit of God. I'm not saying don't obey his voice if he tells you to reach out with some money or whatever or buy somebody a meal. I'm not saying don't listen to the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying it is don't be sure that it's not your own guilty conscience. Because I found oftentimes when people give a quick handout, it's not necessarily because they want to help them. It's because that person has made you feel guilty. So you do it to ease your own conscience. And it's not really about you loving them. It's about you loving you. Maybe take them to fill out a job application. Maybe give them some work. I used to work with a man, he's passed away, he's on in glory now, but he, he was in our church for a long time. Uh, Alan Sargent owned a landscaping company and I was with him several times where he would stop by these guys holding the sign or, or even just walking down the road and he would say, hey, if you meet me right here tomorrow, you got here today, if you can meet me right here tomorrow, 7 a.m., I'll wait around for a few minutes so that you can get here. I will take you to work, I'll put a roof over your head, I'll put food in your belly and I'll start paying you. And they would all say, yeah, absolutely, for sure, I'll be here. Never showed up, not one. Why? Because not everybody, he was offering them, do you want to be made well? And they did not. They did not, they did not wanna give up 
whatever they were hanging on to. It may feel good, but you've got to think about the consequences of your charity. We've got to be spirit-led in our charitable giving. Compassion has to, listen to me, stay with me. Compassion must be concerned with long-term development and wholeness of people, not just some immediate relief of their current circumstance. Many times we unknowingly enable dysfunction in order to ease our own conscience. We've got to do what Micah 6, 8 says. Micah 6, 8, God says, what, 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 how does God want us to behave? We are supposed to act justly and show mercy. And many times we fall into one ditch or the other. Because, uh, uh, I was putting the words together, justice and mercy are exactly how Jesus moved. Justice is fairness in the way people are treated and decisions are made. Mercy is compassion, kindness, forgiveness. But mercy without justice cr creates dependency and entitlement. Mercy without justice creates dependency and entitlement. Justice without mercy is cold and uncaring. People need food and treatment. They need care and a plan. They need healing and forgiveness. It's both together. And compassion without development can do more harm than good. A quick donation is cheap love. Supporting immorality, laziness, destructive behavior is simply irresponsible and clearly not a loving act because people need permanent help. They need permanent help in becoming strong. People first and foremost need a strong connection to Jesus and then a loving community. It reminds me of Acts chapter three when Peter and John come to the lame man and he's, he's begging for alms and they say, silver and gold have I not, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And his legs are strengthened and they take him into the temple as part of their group to worship God. Come on, but it's a lot easier to drop a dollar. Come on. I could rant all day, but that's enough. Let's move on. <laughs> Be led by love in all that you do. Be led by love in all that you do. This man had fallen into such hopelessness. Maybe he just thought this is the way that it's supposed to be. Are you bound today? Maybe thinking that you can only be free from your dysfunction when you die. Are you so familiar with your, with your dysfunction that you can't even recognize truth when it's spoken? Love when it's shown. Freedom when it's in the room. This man had an interesting take on hope. For 38 years, he was hoping the next move of the waters would be his turn. And many Christians live in that place. The next conference, the next word, the next church service, the next ministry time, the next worship night, and your hope is in the wrong place. Your hope's in the wrong place. Many people I meet have been hoping that the rapture would come and bail them off this hell hole for the last 38 years. Sitting afraid, hiding from something because God is gonna secretly rapture his church when he clearly said, make disciples of nations, invade this place, take dominion, occupy till I come, don't hide out. Don't hide out for 38 years. Jesus has been saying, don't sit here, get up and walk, transform this place instead of laying on a mat suffering. I gotta move on, verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry a bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn. There was a multitude being in that place. Immediately we see the spirit of religion does not like freedom. The spirit of religion likes control. It doesn't like grace, it likes having power over people. 
And, and you see this in many churches today. Many insecure leaders refuse to give people truth and love because they feed off of insecure people. But I love verse 11. This guy clearly says, it's the guy with the authority that makes the rules here. You're not the one who touched me. He is. Notice they're so cold when they talk to him. They say, when they talk to him, they don't ask who healed you. They ask, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath day? If you had known a man was lame for 38 years and he's walking around, glory to God, I don't care what day it is. I don't care what's going on. Let's throw a party because this guy's been healed. But their first concern is, you're carrying that mat and it's the Sabbath day. I can't believe you. That's the spirit of religion we see right there. It's cold-hearted, no love for God or people. And by the way, he wasn't breaking the Sabbath. He was breaking man-made traditions. Man-made traditions. Jesus later teaches that Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Come on. And listen, you need to get a revelation of Jesus is your Sabbath. Take a day off of work, but don't let anybody put something on you of like, you gotta take off Saturday, you gotta take off Sunday, you gotta whatever. Jesus, I'm gonna be at work tomorrow, working my tail off, gonna be in complete rest because I will be in Sabbath because Jesus is my Sabbath. Not a day off. You don't need a nap, you need the presence of the Lord. Come on, you are filled with the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Okay, and he quickens your mortal body. He doesn't make it lazy. Okay, word for another time. The rabbis had turned this day of rest, though, into a fearful burden, but I love his response. Notice his response. He didn't know the, know the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't come up and tell him his name. He just starts asking him questions. Like, at least give me your credentials, bro. Like, how about, like, I'm the son of God? Nothing. Just tells him, do you want to be made well? All right, stand up and walk. But there was something about the presence of this man that was completely different than everybody else he'd ever come in contact with. Come on, he who made me well told me. I love that name that he gives Jesus. He who made me well. What is his name? I don't know, but he who made me well. Who is this man that even the winds and waves obey, that demons run from? Who is this man? He who made me well. Who is this man? He's the name above all names. Come on. You need to know that the religious spirit will always be offended at your breakthrough. You think you have offended people in your dysfunction? Just get whole and see what happens. Become whole and there'll be all new measures of offended at you. Why? Because you didn't do it their way. It didn't happen in their church or their revival or their therapist or what their program or their way. And they'll get offended at you because you got whole in one step with Jesus. They'll be mad at you. They'll be mad at you because they haven't overcome their dysfunction and you overcoming yours is a testimony to them that they no longer have to stay in theirs and they want to stay in theirs. They'll be offended at you. When Jesus cast out the legion of demons from the man at the Gadarenes, they came out from the Decapolis, they saw the man sitting clothed in his right mind and they became afraid and they begged Jesus to leave. Are you kidding me? Why? Well, because if old Bob ain't running around naked in the graveyard cutting himself, if he can be free, then I can't have my little thing on the side. It removes all religion's excuses for their dysfunction when you become whole. And God created you to be whole. I don't care how you were born, you can be born again. God had a plan for your DNA and for who you were before the seed ever hit the egg. And he says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He doesn't say that you're broken. And if you're a believer in this room, guess what? You are a holy priest, a chosen generation, a peculiar people. You are beloved, holy, flawless, blameless before the throne, not a sinner saved by grace anymore. You are a son and daughter of God. You were a sinner saved by grace, but welcome to the family. God doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. 
Come on. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to become what you already are? Do you want to become what you already are? Because all of our dysfunction is disagreement with how God thinks about us. All of our sinful behavior, all of our dysfunctional behavior is at the core of it is a root of how we see ourselves. How we see ourselves. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Come on. Listen, you get your finances under control. You have a happy marriage. You have a happy marriage. And listen, I have an incredible marriage, but not because of how whole I am, but because of how whole she is. You get a happy marriage. You raise godly kids and they'll chalk it up to luck. They'll chalk it up to you being fake. Not that you had an encounter with loving kindness. You walk in joy and peace and you don't let the world, the things going on in the world rock you like it rocks them. They'll call you fake. They'll crucify you. Why? Because victims hate overcomers. Religion hates overcomer because overcoming convicts those around us. Because if I can change, they can change. This man was healed. And immediately the first thing religion starts doing is trying to implement rules. Man-made rules at that, legalism. If you're offended over the way that people worship, I just want to challenge you. Religion hates dancing feet. Every story in the Bible, you see sacrificial, undignified worship, and it is always honored by the Lord. And it's always the religious spirit that is offended. And if these hands over here offend you, they've just had an encounter with somebody that maybe you haven't had an encounter with in a while. Religion hates dancing feet. It hates laughing. It hates tears. It hates groaning. It hates travailing. One of the things I find religion often hates with me is it hates that I talk in tongues. It hates that I pray in the spirit. That's weird. You keep that for your closet. Man, it's brought me more freedom than any of your rules have. Praying in tongues has helped me overcome more lust than any of your programs have. It's helped me overcome more drug addiction than any program has. Why? Because praying in the spirit lines my spirit up with the will of God. Come on. And it can sound weird to you if you want to, but let's just talk about what you believe. You believe other things that went on in here, but the thing that bothers you is praying in the spirit. My goodness. I don't care if you do it or not. Don't judge somebody else's encounter with the Lord. Come on. Religion hates kneeling. It hates the laying on the ground. It hates the shouting. It hates the running around the room. Religion doesn't like the encounter because it can't control it. Because it's weird and it's different. The moment I say I've been freed and I don't struggle with that anymore, people think I'm a liar. Well, yeah, brother, we got a flesh nature though. And you're a man and she's a good looking woman. No, I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And Paul even says in Romans chapter seven, when he did something that he hated, he realized it wasn't him. It was the sin living in him. And so it's really not you. It's that you've come out of disagreement of what's really in you. And it's the spirit of God. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You don't have to struggle and get your brains kicked in for the rest of your life. You can actually experience heaven and freedom right now. 
First John says, just as Jesus is now, so are we in this world. Where is Jesus now? Is he still on the cross? No. He's enthroned. He's seated next to the Father. So are you, Ephesians says. Co-seated with Christ in heavenly places. Come on. Verse 14. This is my first closing. Tim said last week when he got to number three, this is like my number three right here, okay? Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well. Jesus healed him and dipped out. He didn't give a speech. You notice that? He didn't give a speech on it. Hey, get your life together. Start doing all these things. Stop doing all these things. No, he had an encounter and then Jesus said, see you, bro. Why? Because the encounter of loving kindness was so radical, the heart began to be transformed. Do you hear me? The, the, I encountered God when I was 11 years old at youth camp and there was nothing anybody could ever say to me for all eternity that could talk me out of what I encountered. And when I had that encounter, when I had that encounter, something in my heart began to say, I want to do everything that that man has ever said. For the rest of my life, I want to be obedient to that voice because something touched me, something bumped up against me that I had never bumped up against before and it totally changed me. Now, I had some stubborn days. I had some prodigal days, but you know what I knew even when I was prodigal? That my father was still in his house and what he had for me was way better than the pigs. Come on. Nobody talked me into this. I can't be talked out of it. He who has made me well, I listen to his voice, his commands, because I walk with him. Come on. I don't want to be a house of religion. I want to be a house of loving kindness. I don't want to be a house of tolerance and acceptance. I want to be a house of loving kindness. Verse 14, now you're well. Now you're, notice where he found the man too, the temple. The temple, because if you come in contact with him, you will find other people who have come in contact with him and you will find buildings where people have come in contact with him in church. God bless you. House of loving kindness. Jesus didn't start with stop sinning and then I'll heal you. He healed him first. He met the man in his mess, healed him, gave him a life-changing, radical encounter. Jesus found him, healed him, disappeared for a while, then came back and forgave his sins. Then came back. You notice too that Jesus ain't walking around leading people in prayers. But my God, we have so fallen in love with the sinner's prayer. Right? Do you notice Jesus tells people that they're forgiven of their sin and they don't even ask? Whoa, why? Because they have come into an encounter with loving kindness and he can already see their heart changing. He's good, man. He's so much better than we could even believe. He won his heart before he started talking to him about his morality. The rules, the law, the morality doesn't change the heart of man. It's the encounter with the radical loving kindness of God that transforms the heart. And then it positions us in a place to receive from him. People don't receive from him, or at least they don't very long if they don't have an encounter with him first. You gotta have an encounter with the author of the book if you wanna be obedient to the book. Second closing. Getting close. Do you want to be made well? 
Do you want to become who you really are, who I created you to be? Jesus let his presence speak for itself. He didn't announce his credentials. He caused the man to experience something that's past finding out. He caused the man to experience something that transcended understanding, something that he couldn't be talked out of. 38 years, 38 years. That's a long time. That's older than me. It's not older than Paul, but it's older than me. <laughs> I'm getting there though. I'm close. I'm close. Uh, Hunter will do that to me one day. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah, he will. He already makes fun of me to all the CMA kids. It's okay. My son reported what he said in chapel, so. <laughs> oh man. How many times? How many times have you gone around the same mountain? How long has your dysfunction kept you from the Zoe life? How many times have you refused to listen to Jesus? Tim said this last week, Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Doesn't say that you will have life and life more abundantly. You might have it because you've got to come into agreement with it. Do you want to be made whole? It's not rhetorical. Jesus expected an answer. The question is valid because the man has been there for 38 years and he's got no plan. 38 years, my God, just use your noggin for a little bit. Do some push-ups if you can't walk. Get your arms like a gorilla and drag yourself. Like, he had no plan. Do you really want to be made well, my guy? It doesn't seem like it. Or do you want to continue sitting around with sick people because it makes you feel better about being sick? Are you ready to become who God created you to be? Are you ready to step into wholeness that's already available to you? Are you convinced that you've been made whole? Are you convinced? I was telling, I was teaching our interns this in chapel on Friday, is that I think... I believe that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is just a convincing of who you really are. Because you're no longer under, under condemnation. And so what the Holy Spirit does is when we blow it, he comes and says, that's not you. That's not you. Come back to me. Don't do that. I've got something better for you. That's conviction. That's conviction. Man, that'll preach. I feel that on me right now. Get up and walk. Get up and walk. This is grace. This challenge from Jesus is grace. Grace empowers righteous living. I, I've shared this before, but just if you haven't heard it, my uh, pastor told me when I was 13, 14 years old at a youth camp, he said, stop asking why. Stop asking God why and start asking him, God, what do you want me to do now? Because the why was keeping me on my map. What do you want me to do now, God which he responded with, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be everything I created you to be? Then get up and walk. Get up and walk. I wanna, I wanna end here. This, this, this thing about the mat was so weird to me. Um, I, I felt like there was something on it. And, and like the Lord does, he always waits until the fourth quarter to, to share it with me. And I just got this revelation from him in my office this morning. And, and I've never heard anybody teach this before, but, but man, I just really feel like it was a word for our church today. Um, I, I read through some commentaries and, you know, many people said, well, he had to pick up the mat because Jesus was basically picking a fight with the religious leaders, had to show them that he was Lord over the Sabbath, that it was, you know, it's man-made traditions that, that, that he was showing that they were going to break. It was to test the man's faith and obedience that like, you know, this is going to cause you trouble. Um, and, uh, and, and I was asking the Lord, like, why the mat? Why the mat? But we see, we see in the Old Testament on the Sabbath day that work was permitted out of necessity and mercy. That's the only time work was permitted in the Old Testament was out of necessity 
and out of mercy. And obviously we see the mercy of God in this story, but what was the necessity of carrying the mat? Did he really have to? And I saw this. This man had been here for 38 years. So he probably had no home. This bedroll was all that he had. And so what Jesus was doing is he was giving this man no reason to return back to this place. No reason to return back to this place. Don't come back to the misery. Don't come back to the addiction. Don't come back to the depression. Don't come back to the sin. Don't come back to this function. You own it now. You own it. It's your testimony. Roll over it. Walk in freedom. You've been made whole. So stay in agreement with wholeness. Jesus knew this man might return to what's comfortable if he left something there. That's such the problem with sanctification is we go back to what we know. We go back to what we know, whether it's fear of the future, whether it's fear of rejection, whether it's fear of man, whether it's my brain isn't wired to do this yet, and so this is really a struggle, so I'm just gonna go back to what I know, to what I've always known. But Jesus is telling this man, take all you got and get out of this place and don't you ever come back. Don't ever come back here. Don't think twice about it. Put it down and run. What do you need to put down today? What do you need to leave behind? What number in your phone do you need to delete and never go back to? What person do you need to block on social media and don't you ever, ever give them the time of day again? What do you need to go home and flush down the toilet today? Come on, this isn't judgment. This isn't condemnation. This is loving kindness. Don't ever go back to it. Don't ever go back to it. Let this be your testimony carry what carried you. Let it be a reminder of what you've been saved from. But press on to what you've been saved for. Come on. I think so many times we focus too much on what we've been saved from that we forget what we've been saved for. Come on. You're, it, it, this is a silly example. I heard it a lot growing up, but, but your testimony is that rear view mirror. And it just takes up a small part of your vehicle. But if you focus on the rear view mirror, you're going to have a wreck. That rearview mirror isn't to lead you into what's behind you. It's to make sure that no, I mean, I guess unless you're backing up. Well, we all got backup cameras now, but that's besides the point. There's a sermon in there somewhere. But <laughs> I love the joy of the Lord. Um, but that rearview mirror, it's just a small part because it's just a quick reminder of thank you, God, that you saved me from that. But here, this front windshield, this world, this is all that I have been saved for. This is all that I'm going towards. This is all that I'm moving into. I've experienced so many people that experienced breakthrough and I really believe they were set free from addiction. But they went back to where they left their mat. And I've seen, I've seen people who experienced addiction, got set free from it only to relapse and get into it worse a few years later to overdose and die. Many people interpret the story as that the man had done something that had caused his infirmity that he had had some sort of accident that caused him to be here for 38 years. Some sort of sin, something he wasn't supposed to be doing had caused this to happen. And Jesus says, hey, so don't sin anymore because something worse could happen. Because what's 38 years to eternity? What's 38 years to eternity? What's 38 years of lameness to something that could cause death? I've seen men be set free from pornography only to a couple years having an affair. Why? Because they didn't cut it off, dude. They didn't take up their mat and fall. They got so focused. They got so focused on what they were saved from, right? If I tell you not to think about an elephant, what do you think about? 
Don't think on those things. Think on heavenly things. Fix your mind on a heavenly reality. Come on, take up your mat and walk. Don't return here. Don't return here. Listen to me, everybody in this room. You are whole. You are loved. You are the righteousness of God. Anything else is a lie. Anything else is a, is a lie. And listen, I'm not saying that it all works this way, but my wife dealt with severe back pain for a long time, on and off since she was 16. But the last two years have been really, really, really hard in a lot of pain. She hasn't had pain in like three months now. Do you know what she did? Do you know how many times I laid hands on her and prayed for her to be healed? And it wasn't that she didn't have the faith to receive it. We were, we were, we were going after it. But do you know when her pain went away? Is that when she started thinking thoughts of, I am healed. God has healed me. I'm going to walk and I'm going to live as if, I, as if I have been healed. Listen, some people are sick because they think about being sick all the time. CMA students, hear me. When you wake up in the morning and your first thought is, oh, I'm nauseous. Eat a piece of bread, dude. Right? Oh, I got a sniff. Ooh, ooh, I'm, oh, my, oh, my gosh. What virus do I have now? Oh, I need to make a doctor's appointment. And I'm not saying that we don't deny reality. But I'm saying when you begin to think about things, don't think that you're not unlocking things in the spiritual. Because scripture teaches us out of the mouth is life and death. Think on these things. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so maybe, what if we just walked around and spoke life over ourselves and our family? Until we saw it. Speak it until you see it. Come on. Y'all stand with me. The Lord is here. He's in this place. He's in this place. I love coming in this place because he's here. He's here. And I want to encourage you. For some reason, you come in, worship, word, whatever. It's like, man, I just real man, I want to encourage you. Come in next week and engage. Come in next week and engage. Oh, many times I dance, I don't feel like dancing. I raise my hands, I don't feel like raising my hands. I sing, I don't feel like singing. Many times I got to come up here and preach, and I don't feel like preaching. But whenever I am obedient to what the Lord is worthy of, He always comes, man. He always comes because He's so good and He's so worthy. If you have any kind of infirmity going on in your body right now, or somebody in your family does, if there is anything going on, any illness, I know, we have, I know we've got a couple struggling, some with cancer and some with other things going on in their bodies. If there's anything that you have or your family has, that maybe not, they're not here because they are sick, can you lift up your hands so that we can pray for you? Come on, hands all over the place. Lay hands on these. Let's lay hands on them right now. Let's be, you're the priesthood of the believer. Let's lay hands on these people. Let's pray for them. All it takes is one moment. <clears throat> there's, there's an impartation that takes place through the laying on of hands. Begin to pray over them. Begin to pray over them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet that their body would come into alignment with heaven. Come on, right now, back pain, leaving in Jesus' name. 
back pain, shoulder pain, leaving right now in Jesus' name. Right now I see vertebrae beginning to separate that, are, that have been compressed for a long time. No more. In Jesus' name. I rebuke viruses, diseases, diseases illnesses, cancer cells. Right now, in the, in the presence of Jesus, right now we command those things to dry up and leave and never return. I pray life and health over this body. And come on, if you're sick right now, pray. Say, Lord, I receive it. I receive the healing that you paid for. I receive everything that you have for me right now in Jesus' name. I receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, I want to do one more thing. One more thing. Before, can I have uh, Paul and Sarah, maybe a couple of our elders come just real quick. We're not going to be long, but I, I feel like we're supposed to do this. And I want you to come before you have time to think about it. Before anybody, uh, Chloe Hunter, if y'all can come down here, before you have time to think about it, before you have time to talk yourself out of it. But here's the deal. And, and I really believe that some freedom is going to take place in this place today as we lay hands on you and pray over you. We're not, we're not going to be here all day. Come on, we got to go rebuke Taylor Swift tonight, so we're not going to be here all day. I'm kidding. Some of y'all are really offended by that. Okay. Some of y'all are like, yes, and the other half of you are like, no, I'm a Swifty. Before you have time to think about it, if you are struggling with anxiety, depression, PTSD, or suicide, I want you to, you thought, you're having thoughts of suicide right now, I want you to come down here. Before you can think about it and talk yourself out of it, PTSD, anxiety, depression, or suicide. Maybe nobody. I felt like we were supposed to pray for somebody. Come on. Come on. We're family here. There's no judgment. Here we go. We got a couple coming. There's no judgment here. There's no condemnation. Come on. This is family business. You're our brothers and sisters and we care about you. Anxiety, depression, PTSD. You can be free this morning. We're going to rebuke that in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. George, will you pray for Nick right here? Either, yeah, both of you. Come on. Let's extend our hands in faith for those that are up here right now. Thank you, Jesus. God, we rebuke the lies of the enemy right now in Jesus' name. We rebuke the lies of the enemy right now in Jesus' name. You have no hold on these people in Jesus' name. We, right now, right now, Lord, that they would come into agreement with what you have said about them. Lord, we loose the power of your Holy Spirit to fill them and fill their minds and their hearts right now. And they would become convinced that they are loved by you. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Continue to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord fill this place. The joy of the Lord fill these people. Thank you, Lord. The peace of God. The peace of God. The peace of God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Church, if you'll bow your head, close your eyes. If you can, lift your hands to heaven. I want to pray a blessing over you. God, I thank you so much for this body of Christ. I thank you so much for everything that you've done in us and through us for the last 51 years as a ministry. God, we celebrate what you have done, the people that have been healed in this room, the people that have been healed on this piece of land. God, we thank you that this is a place where heaven touches earth. And God, in this place today, I'm thankful that heaven has touched earth, that we've got to worship you and honor you again. God, it is such an incredible thing to come to the house of the Lord with the members of this church and worship you and lift up your name. God, I ask that you would fill each and every person in this place with your spirit. God, that they would become convinced of how loved they are, how whole they are, not by their works, but by your finished work on the cross, that they are who you say they are, not who they say they are, not who their friends say they are, not who their mom or their dad or their coworker or their boss. We, we rebuke all those lies in Jesus' name. No, no weapon of the enemy formed against you will prosper. We cancel those assignments right now in the Jesus name that have come against your home, that have come against your marriage, that have gone against your kids, that have come against your family. We call the prodigals right home, right home right now for every person right now in this room who has prodigals that are away from the house. We call them home right now. Lord, we know that their story would never turn out like <laughs> if it was up to us, it would never turn out like the way that it's going to Lord, that when they come home, that there's going to be a party, there's going to be a celebration. There's going to be glory given to your name. God, I thank you for each and every person in this place, each and every person a part of this ministry. God, I thank you for this gathering today. God, we lose the power of your healing to the live stream right now. Anybody that's watching, I know a few that are watching from home because they're sick and couldn't be here. We lose the healing power of your presence that transcends time and space. Maybe some that are watching this two, three weeks, two years from now, Lord, I'll lose your, the power of your Holy Spirit to enter in those bedrooms. The, maybe, maybe they're listening on podcasts in a truck right now. I lose the healing power of your word to fill that truck right now and that knees and ankles would be healed and strengthened in Jesus' name, that back pain would leave, that heart problem would be healed right now. I feel like right now that there's somebody watching, that there's something going on with your heart. And right now, God is straightening that thing out in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, that thing, maybe you didn't even know that something's being straightened out right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. We honor you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. Church, we love you. We'll see you Wednesday night. Thank you for hanging with me. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.